terms of cost of living and a response to that, I've been very, very impressed with, especially the GI retail market that have done absolutely the right thing in terms of putting consumers first and looking at how they can support them. And we saw this during the pandemic. So if anything, it was a, a good acid test there for what we're seeing now. I think it's more a sort of hygiene factor rather than a strategic priority, but strong risk management is going to be an ongoing hygiene factor that's going to be increasing to the fore. So I talked about the volatile world and the volatility that exists, but I think really understanding exposures and managing exposures is going to be of fundamental importance. What will be interesting is whether or not InsureTech Data Digital um, uh, how that changes the other aspects of insurance, because the distribution is only just one part of it, isn't it? Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's Financial Services podcast. I'm Irina Velkova, your regular host, and I bring to you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new regulatory developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the regulatory curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. There seems to be an agreement in the market that the insurance sector has done well and demonstrated a remarkable level of resilience given global turmoil in the last couple of years. Yet, I feel that with every episode of this podcast I opened these recent months, we seem to be adding more and more challenges to the list on the top of an already exceptionally difficult and volatile global economic and political picture. Most recently, here in the UK, we have also been presented with relatively dramatic financial markets developments, which has had a knock-off effect on many other areas of life, let alone the financial services industry. The insurance market has no doubt been impacted too, so I have invited to the podcast some very experienced insurance experts in a conversation about the sector and where to now. I would like to first welcome Paul Cooper. Paul is the Group Chief Financial Officer of Hiscox. Prior to this, he was Interim Group CFO of M&G and also served as the CFO for Prudential Assurance. In addition, he's a board member of the Association of British Insurers and was recently a non-executive director of Aspen Insurance UK and Aspen Managing Agency. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Welcome. Delighted to be here. Excellent. We are also joined by Charlotte Clark, who is the Director of Regulation at the Association of British Insurers. She's accountable for relations between the insurance industry and the Bank of England on prudential regulation, for relations with the Financial Conduct Authority and Conduct Regulation, as well as taxation issues affecting insurers. Charlotte joined the ABI in 2020 from the civil service, having started her career as an economist before moving to wider policy roles. Great to have you with us, Charlotte. Great to be here. Thanks. And last, but absolutely not least, I have the pleasure of welcoming Rob Benson, who is the head of insurance at Grand Thornton UK. Rob has a focus on delivering assurance and advisory services to the insurance sector, predominantly working across internal audit, risk and compliance. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rob. Thanks, Irina. Now, we've decided to tackle a very ambitious agenda today by looking broadly at some of the key themes and trends that have been pertinent to the insurance sector this last year, but also in the coming weeks and months. It is a huge topic, though, and I fear that we're risking spending here today and night talking about it if we wanted to exhaust it. So perhaps what I'll try and do is structure the conversation around some of the key strategic commercial and then regulatory issues pressing the market and hopefully this way we can cover most areas. So let's see how we get on with that and where we managed to finish all of our conversations at all. Um, anyway, having said that, starting with a more of a helicopter view, where do you see the overall insurance market currently standing given everything that uh, is happening in the world? And, and Paul, do you mind kicking off perhaps? Sorry to yeah. put you on the spot. <clears throat> no, sure. Um... Look, so, so my thinking around this, the sort of helicopter view for me is that I think the sector as a whole has been remarkably resilient. Uh, if you look across, you know, the the various aspects, and I'm sure there are more, but you know, the the the, the elements that have been thrown at the sector or that the sector has had to contend with in in the recent past. And a number of these things are still very live now is you know really volatile investment markets. 
um, you know, natural catastrophes, clearly for the sort of non-life, the PNC sector, we've got um, Hurricane Ian still relatively uh, live as a, as a good example of that. Um, real geopolitical issues, um, you know, Ukraine and Russia is obviously probably the most notable of that. And um, the spectre of inflation that, that has sort of impacted um, and generated sort of the cost of living crisis. So across those aspects, I would I would contend that the insurance sector has been remarkably resilient. And I think capital and solvency levels have really um, withstood and shown that they've withstood those those challenges. I think then being born out of that, I think that the thing for me is that um, you know, I, I, I would contend the sector continues to be customer focused. Um, I think it it's it's demonstrating and has shown that risk transfer is important and the concept of um, risk transfer, particularly in an environment, you know, all of those aspects that I mentioned could arguably lead to a, a perception that risk has increased globally. And therefore, I think the concept of risk transfer, as I said, is important. And then I think, you know, sort of if I bring it closer to home, I think what is um, encouraging is, you know, from a from my perspective, the breadth of offering that, that we have. So, you know, Hiscox writes across the retail organisation, London market and re-NILS. So, you know, we've seen um, and, and have um, worked with our clients to manage these these issues across each of those um, each of those areas. Yeah, no, thank you, Paul. And and Charlotte, obviously, you have observations working with a number of insurance players. Given your role, you do you agree with the resilience point and perhaps the the risk point as well? Yeah, I think you know, as someone who's relatively new to the insurance sector, I think the thing that really kind of strikes me is. It almost doesn't matter what government, you know, what which bit of news you're listening to. There's some impact on insurance. So insurance is, you know, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's climate, you know, whether it's what's happened with financial markets, looking a little bit longer term, aging society, social care, all of those things, you know, we're right at the heart of everything that's kind of going on. Um, you know, I think that that you know, as, as Paul says. The industry has had a challenging few years. I was reading the FCA business interruption report uh, yesterday, one of the joys of my job. Um, uh, but, you know, one of the, one of the you know, people often think in terms of the pandemic that the industry had a difficult and challenging pandemic, which of course is true. But actually, when you read that report, it's talking about a lot of the things that went really well. You know, that the actually the operational resilience of the industry really stood up, the ability to continue to serve customers. Um, so whilst I don't think um, there's a lot of things that we need to kind of think of, how do we continue to improve? How do we continue to uh, influence and affect? But actually, I think we stand in a pretty good place. And in terms of the things that matter to people, the industry is really at the heart of so many of them. Yeah, yeah. no, sounds uh, sounds sensible given given what Paul was saying earlier as well, and and indeed where we are in more broadly in the financial services industry. And and Rob, disruption seems to be the word that almost kind of <laughs> summarizes it all across the board. What, what do you see with our clients in terms of how they're tackling that and how resilient they are? I think the ability of going third here allows me to to echo some of the sentiments from Paul and Charlotte. So for me, the market's really just re-emphasised its importance to to all of its stakeholders. Um, you mentioned the, the BI case, Charlotte, lots of positives coming out of that, but there is an aspect of consumer confidence still that there is work to be done on, and I'll touch on that in a moment. But there are policyholders now that are starting to perhaps increase the greater use of their policies. So we are looking at fair value, we're looking at optimization of policies, we're looking at product development. And I think the market has stood up to what consumers, both corporate and individuals, really need in that regard. They're focused on what really matters. Um, they haven't let the disruption get away from the market, which I think is really, really key. So for me, it does depend on which part of the market you're in. As I say, the GI market still has probably got a bit of confidence building to do following the BI ruling, rightly or wrongly. And 
so us within the industry know that there's still a lot of positive activity in that regard. Whereas the PNC market, to, to Paul's point, has seen rate increases, but actually ever more now, especially given the catastrophes uh, with Fiona and Ian, especially the Ukraine war, the aviation risks that are really coming up or would work. The purpose of those policies has, has really come home to roost. So for me, yep, definitely resilient, um, manage the disruption. The focus now is on continuing to provide support to the market, and that is through innovation, that's through product diversification, it's listening to what the policyholders are looking for, so we can be there for them in the future. Okay, we've done well. I think we agree on that, as the insurance sector has, broadly speaking. If you were to try and focus the, the thinking, though, and, and the market in a way, and the direction of travel, what do you think should be some or are going to be some key strategic priorities for the industry for the very immediate term, say the next 12 months? Um, and maybe Charlotte starting with you this time, Paul. You know, I think if you have to pick one, uh, it's very difficult to see beyond cost of living. And what does that mean? And the number of aspects of it, you know, so for businesses, what is happening with regards to supply side, uh, you know, inflationary pressures, what those the cost of living is doing to customers uh you know and the challenges that they have uh whether their businesses or whether they're individuals it's very very difficult to I, I don't come across many people uh who aren't worried about something you know uh at the moment and you know that that's I think how we respond and I guess that links to kind of Rob's point of in you know there is some rebuilding that we need to do in terms of consumer confidence it's quite difficult to do that you know under when there are things like cost pressures around but at the same time ensuring that we you know do deliver to customers I think through what is undoubtedly an incredibly challenging period for them is really I think I would say the number one priority I have others but um, I, I'll leave if I, if I only have one, one I'll stick with one I'll go with that one and see how we how we, how much we cover by by going around the table if you like um and and rob in your view where are we heading in terms of strategy or strategic focus uh, i think you can't look past the cost of living but i think the the ramifications of that is probably where i'd be looking at so what what's the market the entities in the market needing to do about that um what i would say in terms of cost of living and a response to that i've been very very impressed with especially the gi retail market that have done absolutely the right thing in terms of putting consumers first and looking at how they can support them. And we saw this during the pandemic. So if anything, it was a, a good acid test there for what we're seeing now in terms of uh, possible ways in which they're listening to consumers, they're putting in payment plans, they're looking at broadening scope, they're looking at alternative products, um, you know, a motor market product that perhaps is now unaffordable, could be affordable by restricting some of the cover. There's lots of positives that are coming out of that. But I would say if we look at what's going on in the market and what are the things that I expect to see continuing over the case of the, the next 12 months, there's been lots of transformational activity post the pandemic. Uh, a lot of that was on hold. So we're seeing either operating model or finance systems being driven for reformatting as a result of either efficiency or in some case, just quite frankly, IFRS 17. So that's still going to be on the agenda for the next 12 months. Um, I know you said one, but I've got several others. So data and digitalization, I think has got to be featuring, um, whether that is individual entities trying to achieve competitive advantage or the market working much more congruently. And we see that through Lloyd's and Blueprint 2. And then there are ambitious growth plans out there. So growth is gonna stay on the agenda as well. And again, that will be organic or inorganic. And we'll see some of those that have completed transformations or transactions embedding that. So obviously there's still a lot of activity. And, and to Paul's point, investments probably now more than ever is going to be back on the strategic radar. So sorry, yeah. that's more than one. So that's fine. I'll go back to Paul and then I'll come back to you unless Paul picks up that um to, to discuss a little bit more the mergers and acquisitions kind of piece because I think it's actually quite interesting development. But Paul, over to you. <laughs> Yeah, my, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'd sort of agree with all of the above. And I, I think there's I, I, the, the other aspect I'd, I'd sort of return to in my point about the resilience is I think 
I think what is going to be, I think it's more a sort of hygiene factor rather than a strategic priority, but strong risk management is going to be an ongoing hygiene factor that's going to be increasing to the fore. So I talked about the volatile world and the volatility that exists, but I think really understanding exposures and managing exposures is going to be of fundamental importance and, and knowing what risks you've written and where and to, to a risk appetite is going to be pretty fundamental. I think it's always been the case, but I think there's just a heightened uh, need for that capability. <clears throat> and then I think the other aspect that, that comes through and, and resonated with me is, is Rob's point around digital and the digital agenda. And I think from that perspective, I, I think there's sort of um, two aspects. I think there's one which is just there's a there's an ongoing trend to buy increasingly um, increase increasingly complex products online. And I don't mean that from a from an insurance perspective, but I mean that from a more general consumer behaviour perspective. So, you know, if we look back, you know, twenty years ago, twenty one years ago, it was novel to buy a book. Um, literally to buy a novel uh, online, um, you know, and that was that was sort of really the 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 pinnacle of an, an online experience. Now you can buy far more expensive products, you know, cars, etc., um, without a blink of an eye. And people are much more consumers and customers are much more willing and almost expect to buy things online. And I think what will be created as a consequence of that is much more consumer demand from an online perspective. Um, it is an alternative distribution channel that's you know will increase, I think, through time. <clears throat> but the ability off the back of that to process, manage, and deliver business should enhance customer outcomes. Um, but in a far more efficient and effective and productive way. So, I, I, well, I guess that's an ongoing drive because it's a you know a change in consumer behaviour. It's something, again, you know, as a business we've been very focused on in our retail organisation business uh, business, um, and see tremendous opportunity there. But the other aspect I think is. Um, you know, you are just seeing that that ongoing drive from customers and the customer demand. So, and and I think I sort of touched on the efficiency aspect. I think it goes to Charlotte's point around the cost of living aspect. Or one counter to inflation is you know increased productivity and increased efficiency, um, and and therefore sort of help help alleviate some of that cost pressure that that could build up. Yeah, and that all sounds fascinating, frankly, and all very linked, uh, all interlinked, I would say. Just going back to the growth point, because I think it's really interesting. Um, and you mentioned, Rob, um, we are perhaps aiming for some sort of transactions as well. We have already seen quite a lot of consolidation on the market and linking it to the points that you and Paul made about the digital piece. Are you seeing a lot coming in terms of, for example, transactions between, let's say, more traditional insurance players and insure tech companies, uh, starting with Europe, maybe just because you, you started that point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, th I think it's on the agenda and it's a case of buy or build. I think that's the decision. Um, we're mm. certainly seeing these disruptor brands coming in who are far more digitally advanced. The challenges uh, around digitalization and, and the better use of data is, of course, the legacy that we have with regards to systems. Um, it proves a, a huge handicap in order to, to have that as a key strategic priority because the investment will be so so much greater. But yes, in short, I, I would expect to see some form of, of either buy or build mechanism to, to make the digital channel much more freely available across both GI retail and into the, the commercial uh, markets as well. And I think to Paul's point, just in terms of certainly the GI space, this new or not so new but alternative digital channel for consumers is going to be really interesting to see over the course of the next 12 to 18 months with if you like the shadow of consumer duty that i'm sure this won't be the first time we've mentioned it but consumer duty the rules have got to be expensive enough and they are to cover both the traditional channels and of course the digital channels and 
it's the case now that the market needs to respond to those positively. And as I say, I'm sure we'll talk about consumer duty a little later on the regulatory developments that are going to come down the line. But uh, yeah, short answer is definitely some further activity in terms of better use of insure tech, whether that's in terms of a digital channel or going into algorithmic underwriting is a good example. There will be more in the future. Yeah. Do you share that view, Paul? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think for me, the M&A agenda or consolidation, I, I think is highly nuanced. Um, yeah, the, the, so, so I think there's several dynamics at play. I think that there will be, and I have to say this from, from working for a company that hasn't um, historically done large scale or, or, or significant M&A and, and hasn't got current plans to do so. So I'm talking more sort of conceptually, but sort of what I see you know, across the market, I think, is one, I think businesses will continue to seek to acquire others whereby they can build out or, or buy, buy a skill set or buy, you know, a customer base or buy a product set, you know, to fill out something that they currently have a gap in. I can see that that has, you know, that has been a trend. I could see that continuing. I think the other aspect that that I think has has occurred in the recent sort of 12 to 18 months is capital has been more um, demanding, let's say, and seeking has been more reticent to invest in businesses that aren't necessarily showing a return earlier. And I think what you've seen is a, a bit more of a sort of withdrawal of capital or less forthcoming um, deployment of capital for those businesses that haven't yet demonstrated that they can deliver a profit and a sufficient return sustainably now you know whether that's a trend or something that will reverse i mean it remains to be seen um and i think the, the last aspect and, and it's something i think sort of rob mentioned but one of the dynamics is you have seen on the pnc side um rates go up you know, in terms of insurance rates increase over over the recent past. And I think that takes some of the pressure off because in order to consolidate, because there's, you know, arguably enough opportunity organically to capture on, you know, to, to build on the existing rating environment. Now, you know, it's arguable that if the rate environment suddenly starts to soften and for a prolonged period of time, then I think that you could again see more consolidation as people need to find either growth synergies or, or cost synergies. Yeah. So that, that's that's how I could kind of see it playing out. But I don't think there's any one driver that says less consolidation or more. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you agree, Charlotte? I mean, from your standpoint of view and what you see across the market? I mean, clearly as an industry, uh, there has been an, an awful lot of consolidation and churn and change over the last 10, 15 years. You know, it would be it would be a strange person who kind of said, oh, well, that must be finished. And we've we've done that. Um, because I just think that's the, the, you know, the way the world is changing, how it is changing, you know, suggests that business models are constantly evolving. And your your I think your original question was was around insure tech. Yeah. So how, you know, that the, how businesses have either been thinking about how they get more involved in insure tech or how they bring, bring in the skills through merger and acquisition uh, acquisition more um, you know but but a lot of that I think has been so far at the distribution side at the front end side at the consumer side I think we'll, what will be interesting is whether or not insure tech data digital um, uh, how that changes the other aspects of insurance because the distribution is only just one part of it isn't it how we are you know the other aspects that we do whether it's the investment side whether it's the underwriting side you know all of the other bits and how data and digital will revolutionize them as they inevitably will uh, i think that's none of us really know how that that kind of um how, how that's going to feed out but undoubtedly it's going to lead to change 
Yeah, no, definitely. OK, I'm sure we can talk about the technology bit and the data and the AI bit. I'm sure it's quite interesting when it comes to underwriting as well. But I want to move to the more slightly wider issues and perhaps shift towards the conversation a little bit more into the commercial aspects. And we did already mentioned a lot of the challenges that uh, that we are currently facing in terms of extraordinary economic circumstances all, all together. I don't think we've seen much of that in the last, at least not in my lifetime, if I'm honest, in terms of, I'm not that young, uh, in terms of ongoing war, cost of living crisis, galloping inflation, you, you all named um, all of those as well. It, clearly, this is impacting a lot on lots of the, 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 the business, if you like, angle, how you run an insurance company. And, and what's your view? What's the right course of action here to basically tackle this commercial conundrum? And then uh, I'll start with Paul, because hoping that uh, given this is his current role and focus, he can yeah. lead the conversation. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I mean, I, I don't know about the, the sort of right course of action, but certainly I can tell you that the things that sort of I'm focused on and, you know, I don't think it should surprise you to to know that, I, you know, I think one of the things to to really have a strong um, attention or pay a strong attention to, and I think that's, you know, both true of life and non-life is a strong balance sheet. So being really clear on the metrics around solvency, the drivers of solvency, liquidity, you know, funding options, etc. Um, and and general balance sheet strength, I think, is is, is critical uh, in a time, as I said, of, of navigating this period of, of volatility. And, and you've seen it, you've seen it play out in certainly in the last sort of nine months of the year. So I'd sort of start there. Then I think the second aspect is, you know, and I referenced it earlier, is you know, sound risk management. Really know your exposures, know your underwriting uh, appetite, and make sure you're monitoring and managing exposures appropriately. And then I think the last one that that we haven't really touched on that that goes beyond finance, I think, is, and and it's true of aspects of um, the cost of living crisis, or you know that is is look after your people and i think that's you know a very strong sort of aspect you know talent and the war for talent is is ever present and it's a it's a bit of a cliche but with you know insurance is a people business you know innovation comes from those individuals ideas um you know the delivery of it and and ensuring that customers are, are well served comes through you know the people you have within the business so i i think you know that the whether it's the right course of action i think ensuring that that people are well looked after um both from a well-being aspect on a personal level but ensuring that um the culture is right and healthy within an, within an organization i think is is again pretty un, pretty fundamental yeah yeah fantastic rob what do you think i very much echo the the sentiments around people um certainly from a professional services point of view we're in exactly the same position it's a people business we we're not selling people but we're selling the the skills of that workforce and it is an incredibly tough market out there you can see that both in professional services and in the wider insurance market. So absolutely, that resonates with me, as does the sound risk management, as I'm probably sure you'd expect me to say. Um, perhaps I'm spending far too much time with my actuarial peers, but <laughs> the, the market has shown real expertise and capacity when modelling. And we've seen that for, for decades. Um, yes, OK, we've got it wrong every now and again, but actually nine times out of ten, using an actuarial pun, um, we do tend to get to the right decisions, be those risk decisions and commercial decisions. So back to Paul's point, and, and he started with this, it's back to managing with an appetite. And that's what we're seeing a lot of organisations that we're working with at the moment focus on, which is, are we happy with our appetite levels? Do we understand them? What are those cases that will really stress those appetites? And how do we reverse manage those to ensure that we've got the mitigants in place? So again risk management at the fore as solvency two is always wanted to achieve for the, the carrier market it's it's asking businesses to test itself it's asking businesses to make sure that they have got the resolve so for me modeling is absolutely key and i guess the other end of the spectrum is to avoid knee-jerk reactions and, and going in and making quick decisions that haven't been thought about 
we have seen some examples so i clearly won't quote any but um we need to find agreement on on the right course of action and i know market congruence is always difficult to achieve because there's a competitive edge but the more we talk about it finding market solutions the better yeah no sounds sounds very sensible indeed rob and 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 Charles, what, where do you stand on that in terms of how do we look at the commercial aspects of it and do you see this kind of if you like market congruence that rob is talking about yeah, I think I, I think the commercial aspects. I think Paul's comments about the importance of people. I, I would have at the absolute centre of it. You know, the economic kind of disruption and turmoil that we've currently got is is combined with something which I don't think any of us have seen, which is just an incredibly tight labour market. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the Great Resignation post pandemic. But, you know, we don't have very high unemployment. Uh, You know, it's very difficult to find good people at the moment. And, you know, those challenges of, well, how do you deal with the turmoil? Well, looking after your people, the importance, things like DE&I, inclusion, well-being, which I think people often think of as kind of nice-to-haves. I, they, they seem to me to be absolutely core to how you will run a successful business over the next few years, not only because all of those individuals will be dealing with the challenges that we're all dealing with, um, but, you know, the importance, I think, of, of keeping people in roles, of ensuring that they, you know, are developing, that they feel included, that the culture is right. It just feels like that will be how we manage to kind of deal with the current kind of turmoil. Agree, completely agree. Interesting, because I can't avoid not putting you in the spot on that, because we've been talking about the whole importance of people and DNI, and I'm talking here, I'm talking here the whole financial market, um, for quite some time before even the pandemic, certainly before Brexit, all around Brexit, and it's been quite a big focus. Um, for a lot of organisations within the sector for quite a few years now to and some have taken it quite seriously, some not so much, to get to a point where now it seems to be almost the critical solution. I can't not try and think about what are other aspects, if you like, of of managing the whole financial sector, um, where we see that there are things coming and we need to be dealing with them and better addressing them now in order to prevent senior development with like people for example in a few years time or is there a such thing it's a very difficult question but it is one that we have to probably ask and raise i suppose i'd probably try and look at it a bit more kind of uh, optimistically of we've been talking about de and i've been talking about well-being for as you say you know certainly years if not slightly decades um i don't think we've had quite the burning platform maybe that's the wrong kind of uh, metaphor but you know the the sense of we've been saying you know I mean all of these things were like oh well they're nice and it's all about fairness and of course then there is this this debate argument you know which I think is proving itself which no actually it's it's a it's a business need to do these things this makes you a better business uh, you know and I, I think uh, I, don't, I don't find many people in financial services who are not kind of bought into that now. Um, so I kind of think, right, well, you know, now's the time for us to really be able to to bring that to the fore and make sure that these things really are core to how we're looking after our people, how we are recruiting our people, how we're developing our people. I, you know, your question seemed to be, are there other things that um you know a kind of we you know we're kind of playing at now and actually yeah. we need to be getting better at i think that's just part of life isn't it until that kind of, until it's kind of slightly staring you into the face you know if i think about things like you know, the challenges of data uh, uh you know those sorts of kind of issues which kind of everyone knows you know will radically change the way that we do business we're not quite sure how yet you know those kind of themes seem to me to be kind of, you know, there or thereabouts, the way customers' expectations change. You know, we talk about it, but 
do we have a strategy for that? Probably not. But when the pandemic hit and everybody went online and everybody's behaviour suddenly changed, we were able to deal with it. Sometimes, you you know, there's, there's that, always that great expression, isn't it, which I think everybody claims they first said of never waste a good crisis. Yes. Um, you know, so, you know, we shouldn't waste this one when it comes to DE and I and wellbeing, it seems to me. I think also, in addition to that, Charlotte, the if there is such a thing, the volume of unknown unknowns has become smaller if it's ever measurable. You know, we, we spend more time thinking about things through diversification of thought. Um, certainly, we've seen that at, at GT and we've seen that at our clients. So the consideration of emerging risks and very, very early stage risks is now much greater. So I think the the overall viewpoint as to you know, what is it that could really impact us as a, an entity and then into a market has just got greater airtime and it's back to modelling again. Um, so have we thought about the right things? And I think the pandemic has, has prompted that. You know, the, no one would have expected the, the BI volumes of claims as a result. No one expected the pandemic full stop, but it has shaped people's thought process now, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the, the only sort of point I'd build upon that is, you know, you come, you, we, we, we have talked throughout today about the, the environment we're in, which is complex, which is volatile. And I think, you know, you do need strong people within the organisation to think, anticipate and manage through these, you know, these, this environment and that, you know, well-being is you know fundamentally important not just because it's right for the individual but you'll have you know if people are on their a game the ability to navigate through this environment is going to be made easier if if there are you know if there are crises within well-being within an organization the ability to navigate is going to be you know self-evidently much more difficult to be fair, when you said environment, I, I couldn't not think about the broader environmental nature kind of related aspects of the, the, the current environment, because it is something, again, that we are talking about, and I'm sure we're going to touch on in the next question because it's about regulations, but um, this is something that is on kind of on the agenda, but slightly lightly, and I think it is the obvious one to me the whole environmental nature, social agenda, that pretty much like the the DNI point suddenly going to hit us in a few years time because we're gonna um, we're gonna be in another crisis, which perhaps is um, has been as a result of, of those issues. But moving into the regulatory side, just because I'm conscious of time, um, there has been a plethora of regulatory developments that have been thrown at us, if you like, in the last 12, 18 months in in the industry. And obviously, we mentioned consumer duty, which is huge. Fair value seems to be very topical now. ESG, which I don't think we can avoid. And just to my previous point, um, it's, it's coming more and more pertinent. So these all will have chief impact, in my view. But if you were to select only a few that in your view would have a shifting meaning, um, which ones would you pick? And Charlotte, maybe starting with you, given that's your probably closest to heart question. Yeah. Um... I mean, it's very difficult, I think, again, to 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 see beyond the consumer duty because the key around is around, you know, how you are changing the culture of regulation. You know, that's that's the desire for the consumer duty from the FCA of, you know, it being about ensuring firms are, are focusing on outcomes and that they, you know, they understand their customers better and understand what it is they're trying to achieve. And so ideally, you know, if, if it is implemented well, uh, then, you know, the, how that changes the culture of compliance within firms, I think is, you know, it's pretty radical. Um, that said, it's, as I say, I think it's a cultural change. I don't see how you implement a cultural change in nine months. Um, so how, what, what does that actually mean? And ensuring that, you know, industry, FCA, FOS, that we're all continuing to have this discussion about how the regulatory uh, regime is changing on conduct issues. Uh, leaving the consumer duty aside, I mean, as you say, ESG, it, it feels to me it's slightly slowed down over the last few months. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's just everyone slightly taking a bit of a deep breath in, realising actually how complex some of these things are. 
um, you know, the speed that perhaps they first set themselves. Um, that said, I, I think there is a reasonable risk that what happens internationally overtakes us if we don't sort ourselves out and, you know, move forward. You know, I think there are a number of things that we just need to kind of make sure that we do take forward and prioritise um, because, you know, ESG is not about to go away. It doesn't really matter what the, what anybody thinks. It's not about to be deprioritised. Um, you know, you can take your eye off it for three months, six months, but at some point, this is the big uh, you know, this is the big issue for us as an industry over the next 10, 20 years. So, you know, you need to kind of focus on that. I I mean, I, I, I as is probably apparent, I could probably speak about this for quite a long time. I mean, the others that I I think of probably, you know, Solvency 2, uh, you know, has been my life, it feels like, for the last year. Um, you know, that I assume at some point has to be resolved and move forward. Um, but the other really big one, and obviously this this does have wider implications, I think, across the industry, is you know the announcement last week from the FCA around advice and guidance, and their willingness to look again at that because I think you know how that affects long-term savings, how that affects wealth, those sorts of issues. But I think it's also what I think is a growing theme among in the FCA, which is around distribution chains. How do distribution chains work? And, you know, where do people add value and how do you ensure the distribution chain work, works for the end customer? And advice and guidance might be a fairly obvious place to start, but I think I wouldn't, uh, if, you're, if you're sitting in a GI company, I don't think that this means that the theme of that isn't going to impact you at some point, because I think it does have some broad implications. Yeah, no, thank you, Charlotte. And and Paul, do, do you see the do you see the world the same lenses, if you like? Well, I, I mean, what, what what I was really pleased about is that Charlotte raised uh, ESG. I mean, and I do think, I mean, whether it's whether whether it's paused, I think it's so fundamentally important. And I think that you know it had a great deal of profile last year, and maybe that was because of COP or or, or whatever, but. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's sort of several drivers for it. One is just the level of disclosures and the level of regulation that's coming down the chain around around ESG disclosures across, you know, whether it's and I know this is sort of we, we're talking about insurance, but asset asset management equally has had a great deal of um, change in that space or focus in that space. So it, it's certainly driven up the sort of regulatory agenda and therefore just requires a focus from that perspective. I, I think the other aspect is just from a commercial one, which is, you know, I think it will or has driven, you know, driven capital into this area and, you know, where capital goes and, and seeks to, to drive returns. I think you're going to see either more adaptation from an ESG perspective of existing industries or innovation. And from an insurance perspective, when we talked about sort of risk transfer, there's a great opportunity to, you know, to innovate accordingly and support that, those nascent industries or that sort of that change from as, um, you know, people get out of, you know, the more in carbon intensive um, sectors. So I, I see I see that insurance has a key role to play around that. And then I think the last aspect, and we go back to people, is you know there is i think there's increasingly a sort of call it the hygiene factor that you know much more the ability to um recruit and retain people is highly dependent on a business's seriousness around um what they do around the esg agenda and i think there will be a, a point of differentiation where those that don't take it seriously or are, you know, meaningful laggards will be left behind from a talent perspective. And those that are taking it seriously will will get an edge. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, uh, and Rob, your views on the regulatory angle? Absolutely can't disagree with what's been said. So on the ESG angle, for me, absolutely, DNI has obviously got its presence and its profile and we're starting to see the regulator place a bit more um, interest in that particular area. I think certainly when we're recruiting into the market, there are different generations of recruits coming in. And as a result of that, you are seeing different perspectives. Um, it does often feel that 
potential candidates coming in better equipped to ask those questions. So it clearly resonates with them and we need to be prepared to, to respond accordingly. So the two that I had indeed were ESG and consumer duty, a couple of words on each of those and, and maybe a little on fair value. But ESG, as we're seeing, it's got deep roots across our market and the entities within it. From ESG risk management, just to ensure that we are managing our business in a in a way which just avoids reputational damage alone is one part, but it's so much greater than that that there has to be considerations for. And then second to that, as Paul touched on, ESG reporting. Um, it has a material impact on how organisations need to define and develop new and quite frankly essential MI. So back to my point when I spoke about transformational activity, a lot of it has been driven because there isn't the ability to draw out the required data for the disclosures that are required going forward. So ESG, absolutely fundamental. Um, again, on the GI side, consumer duty principles, you know, the fact that the small change to driving good outcomes for consumers is absolutely massive. And it's the need for businesses to understand what that really looks and feels like, but also with one eye on, quite frankly, a commercial lens. You know, a good outcome might not necessarily be a commercially viable one. So how how does the market respond positively to that? And a lot of the clients that we're working with are going back to basics to rewrite the customer journey to understand where the touch points are as to where the good outcomes could be impacted. So that's going to involve a lot more investment. I also think back to the point I, I mentioned, it's been an area conduct particularly has been a, a particularly grey area. And uh, without wanting to cause too much controversy, we know some participants in the market have played in the grey. And I think the consumer duty principle is going to reduce the ability to do that because of obviously the, the consequence that the FCA can come in and, and, and impose. But yeah. other than that, the, the other one would be fair value to Charlotte's point. You know, I remember good 10, 12 years ago, we were talking about fair value uh, in terms of distribution chains, the commission levels, the um, real ability to demonstrate value at each stage, and especially when you've got a, a market and a group particularly that has lots of different entities within it that are involved in the same transaction. How are we ensuring that we're showing and demonstrating that there's value in each aspect to that? And that's obviously from MGAs all the way through into the direct market, into the secondary retro market as well. Yeah, OK. Thank you, Rob. Um, I'm trying to look a little bit more ahead this time and thinking, given all these developments and where we are today, if we think midterm, if you like, I don't know, two to five years, whatever is midterm, where do you see the insurance industry in terms of how it's being shaped? Do you see any sort of dramatical, radical, if you like, differences to where we are today? Or do you see particular focus maybe on some specific aspects and angles and getting deeper in some areas and, and, and making sure we do things right? Obviously, the conduct aspect, which we touched on, the whole ESG aspect, uh, more financial elements. Is there any area where you see that this is going to be crystallised better in the next uh, few years? Um, Paul? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the two themes for me I mean, of course, it's difficult to predict, but the, the the sort of themes that for me that are going to be increasingly important, and I think we'll continue to see an evolution than rather than a revolution would be digital. And we talked about the digital agenda. I can see that just continuing, um, building on you know all aspects of the value chain as that, that Charlotte mentioned earlier on. And then, you know, just to go back to the point around the SG, I think how the insurance sector responds to that, not only from a sort of, you know, from the asset side of the balance sheet, from the liability side of the balance sheet and sort of product innovation and meeting customer needs. I think you, you're going to see that as a real opportunity. Yeah, fantastic. Charlotte? Yeah, I, it's difficult. Two years, you know, 2025 doesn't feel that long away. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a slightly sad thing to say, but you know, in terms of the things that we've been talking about, the implementation of the the current regulation, the changes, you know, they will definitely take us that far. But those themes, ESG, data, and digitalization, you know, uh, it feels to me that those, uh, maybe di diversity, I would I'd probably have within there as well. You know, those are going to be the kind of key themes over the next five, ten years, um, yeah. as well as 
you know, let's be honest, uh, something will happen that none of us ever expect. That's that's basically the learning, isn't it, over the last 10 years is the thing that you really didn't expect will be the thing that actually really drives something. And it's that sense of how do, how do you make sure that you are resilient as possible uh, to be able to deal with that when it actually does come along. Yeah, and Rob? I, I was just about to make the same remark. I think the, it's difficult to, to look forward to 2025 when um, a month or two could have great impact in shaping between now and then. And, and we've seen this you know, pandemic alone, but also just ways in which for certain classes, it can be impacted materially by by events. So incredibly difficult to, to suggest that there is a, um, a a carbon copy of what to expect. But ultimately, yeah, advancement data, especially digital, especially that's driving efficiency for all and, and potentially some market collaboration coming through there. Um, from a competitive edge, absolutely at the right, right at the front end, whether that's claims, whether it's underwriting, just innovation that's going to come in and, and allow either new distribution channels or new ways of working. And I think that might be slightly longer away than seeing a seismic change between now and 2025. The other area that I think we have touched on is, is probably the disruptor element. I do expect to see a little bit further disruption through new entities coming into the markets, be them technologically based or just on a basis with no legacy, where they don't have to have challenges and need to make the investments where other entities in the market do in order to come into line with regulation. So I do expect there to be some disruption there. And again, not to suggest that's by any way negative. It's, it's introducing new capital into the market and providing further product diversification. Yeah. And and I'm I know I'm we're kind of almost running out of time out of time, but I'm really keen to ask you finally one uh, one last question. And very briefly, to what are you personally focused on in your kind of daily jobs? You can tell me all about your DIY projects, but separately, maybe if we can focus <laughs> insurance for now. Um, Charlotte, I I long for the day where I have a day where I don't discuss solvency too. <laughs> <laughs> Rob. Um, I, a longer list, unfortunately. So consumer duty, ESG, cost of living, data, digitalization, IFRS 17. Is a, is a, that will keep me awake at night long enough, I believe. But it's all about risk management practices and, and robust assurance frameworks for me. And Paul? Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's a general point around um, meeting, continuing to focus on meeting stakeholders' needs, which are obviously diverse, but sort of Charlotte's point about solvency too, you know, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't say that I need to focus on IFRS 17. Clearly, that's the the hot topic in the finance world at the moment. So uh, it is very much an area of focus. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you all very much for, for your participation and, and insights. It's been a very rich conversation. I'm not even going to try and attempt to summarise it. I hope our listeners just tune in and hear it for themselves. But yeah, Thank you again. It's, it's been great to have you and thank you to all our listeners as well. And you can all sign up to the Financial Services Regulatory Newsletter to receive weekly updates and invites into your inbox. And to stay up to date with the upcoming episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Amazon Music. We'll be back with our next episode next month. Thank you again and goodbye.